Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about whether you should sell the family business. And um, this is something that I've had a, a chance to get up close and personal with. Uh, as it happens in the last couple of years, I've been asked to help um, some pretty high net worth families um, with the third comma um, and help them with something that's called a family charter, which is uh, basically the constitution of how a family decides it's going to govern itself, usually over multiple generations. And over that time, I've had an opportunity to study family businesses in a way that I really had not before. Um, those of you who have listened to this podcast before know that I'm more of a tech guy. And uh, tech companies, generally speaking, measure themselves in years or even months, uh, but not generations. Uh, family businesses, on the other hand, very much can measure themselves in uh, in, in in generations. And uh, there are families that go back. There are family businesses that go back centuries. You know, the Rothschild investment banking empire can date itself to the early 18th century in uh, in uh, Bavaria. Um, the Kikoman uh, soy sauce company is actually a Japanese family business, actually an amalgamation of eight families in Japan that date back into the 17th century. Um, many uh, of, the, of the, the great Italian museums, in fact, are legacies of the Milanese merchant bankers that date back to the Renaissance. Um, and so we can see that some family imprints actually last for half a millennia or longer. And so I've become very interested in, in family businesses uh, because they offer a dynamic that you don't see uh, anywhere else. So over the course of the last couple of years, I've managed to become, I'm not going to say expert, but at least reasonably well-read. And uh, as is the, the habit with our podcast, um, when I know that I'm not an expert, I bring in somebody who is. And so joining us today is my new friend, Dr. Gaia Marchisio, who is executive director of the Cox Family Enterprise Center at Kennesaw State University, which is a, uh, a university that's about 25 miles north and west of downtown Atlanta, maybe 30 miles, for those of you who are not from the, uh, the Atlanta area, where she is also an associate professor of management. She holds a doctorate from the University of Di Pavia in Italy, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, and her research interests include family businesses, business strategy, and business communication. Some of her publications include Game Theory and Family Business Succession, Narcissism in Organizational Context, I have got to read that one, uh, The OODA Loop, A New Strategic Management Approach for Family Business, 
from burning out to being on fire, a conceptual model of burnout and family business, corporate venturing and family business, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, the effects on the family and its members. And she's also the author of several chapters in uh, other books as, as well, and, and the, uh, the list of hits goes on and on and on. Um, the Cox Family Enterprise Center is the oldest of its kind in the world, founded in 1987, holistically supporting business families by creating comprehensive education tailored to their needs. And by the way, again, for those of you who are not from the Atlanta area, the Cox family themselves are a family business. Um, they are on uh, – uh, Guy will, will correct me, but either their, th- their second or third generation, um, they are uh, telecommunications and internet data magnates, media magnates here in, in the Atlanta area. For those working within family enterprises, the Cox Family Enterprise Center offers programs designed to foster greater strength and services intended to to generate synergy in both family and business contexts. For those working as advisors to business families, the Cox Family Enterprise Center has designed education to deepen their perspectives and equip them with the necessary skills for working in their field. Bookending these efforts, they engage in industry-shaping research and undergraduate and graduate education through the Coles College of Business at Kennesaw State University. At the core of these efforts perpetually remains their commitment to education as a crucial tool for enhancing the wealth and success of the entire community. Professor Marchesio, thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me. So um, let's, let's start, because it may not necessarily be obvious, what makes a business a family business? At what point does a business evolve from just sort of being something somebody started up and then we classify it as a family business? Sure. I can give you the traditional um, description, and uh, and then I would like to add uh, some of the more recent thoughts that I think we have uh, uh, we have to think about. So typically, we have an entrepreneur, as you mentioned, that start the business, and at some point. Uh, he or she can have uh, the family joining in the ownership structure. And that's number one. Now, there is some debate around whether should the family have the majority to be classified uh, as a family business. Typically, we say that they need to have enough control to have uh, decision-making power on strategic decisions. Then there is another component. Do they need to have the family working in the company or not uh, to be a family business? And that's another layer And do they need to have the intention to pass the company to the next generation? One thing I think it's very important um, to really define whether a family is a family business or not is that do they have the mindset? Do they think that, do they think as a we, as a family, or are they do everything they can with the, the tool they have from the ownership perspective to maintain the control in one person, right? Because that would still be an entrepreneurial family with just a little bit larger uh, pool of uh, owners, as opposed to start thinking as a we, as a, as a family, as a multitude of people that as owners have to make the key important decisions. And, and um, I, I, is there is there a particular point that kind of prompts that conversion from from being a family that happens to own a business to then being a family business? Is there a typical point at which that is reached, or does each family get there differently? I. I th- Think a little bit of both, right? Okay. So some is a life event that may bring them there. So it can be a challenge and an opportunity at the same time. 
and and other families become more intentional in doing so. So they they are mindful, they want that to happen, and so they start working to get ready to be able to make those decisions together because that's the biggest difference is uh, how the whole decision-making process in the ownership or in the daily uh, operation change when it's not more one person making the whole decision, but you have to share and create alignment around the key, most important. Now, um, what what are things that make family businesses different from, I guess, a non-family business, if you will? Several. Um, The most well-known probably is uh, what you mentioned before, this orientation to longevity, to think about across generation, they call it patient capital. Um, I think for what I see for research and practice, um, there are other factors that we have to take into consideration. One is it uh, has to do with the goal setting of the company. Typically, uh, there is a way to think about the business of the business's business. And so having a heavy goal around making money, which is great, don't get me wrong, and, and creating a different perspective, which is money becomes a tool instead of the, the end goal. And they allow for a variety of other reasons why to be in business. For just being with, not just, uh, from being with my family, creating more job opportunity, have an impact on the community, create some good. So it can be really different from every family, but has a, has a lot of to do with uh, why are we in business and what's the purpose of what we do. I think that patient capital point is is extremely important. One of the things that I've learned is I've, had to give myself a crash course on family businesses. I think one of the things that makes them unusual and we'll talk about extraordinarily successful is the fact they have patient capital, right? So many businesses, even private ones measure themselves by the monthly P and L, the quarterly P and L, even the annual P and L. And in some cases that's appropriate, but on the other hand, it, it leads to a short-term thinking that right. leads that leaves longer-term opportunities on the table. I think, and when you are thinking in terms of multi-generational investing, where the time horizon is almost taken off the table, it kind of opens different opportunities, doesn't it? Right, absolutely. And I, I, I want to stress this: we're not saying that that orientation to the short term shouldn't be there, right? So it's a short and a long term. The difference, I think, is that the, in no family business, the short is the everything. While I think that family has a capacity to absorb some sacrifice in the short to invest and to have uh, uh, other uh, consideration like what kind of quality do, is profit at any cost? What, what does it cost not only for the company, but for the for the shareholders, but also for the employees? How does that change the relationship with them? How does it change the, the quality of what we d- give to the client? You mentioned some uh, generations, some companies who went through generations. Some of them had to make very difficult decisions around quality of big, but, uh, uh, quantity of their product that if they weren't at the quality that they wanted to, they decide to uh, withdraw them from the market, hit on a, absorb a huge loss, but maintaining that long-term relationship and trust with the clients, which is a very important piece to be able to stay in business for so long. So I, I think that shift a little bit the whole idea around corporate social responsibility that often is mistakenly taken as uh, giving away some money to reduce taxa. 
and having a, a, a true deep understanding of all the different stakeholders and how can I create long-term relationship with each of them so that I can survive over time and thrive, not just survive. So um, what led to your interest in family businesses? Why have you devoted your life to researching this phenomenon? Um. I was once. I was uh, raised as a next gen. I had no idea there was a, a whole community of people like us. I saw, I'm dating myself, that was uh, over 30 years ago uh, when the whole thing kind of hit me. I was in college. I saw that there were professors who were talking about things were happening in my family without knowing my family. They were describing me and all of us in a, in a way that nobody else were able to capture. And when my family came to the decision of closing the business at that point, I realized that um, what if we had the help uh, that we, we needed at the time and because it didn't work for me, I thought, well, maybe we can learn some of the, 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 the pain and the mistake that have been made. How about turning that in a great opportunity to help other families? And then I was very fortunate to have a great mentor back then. My professor, who is a leading uh, authority in the field in Europe. And from there, I, I start intentionally um, learning more and, and making sure that my story was important enough to inspire the motivation but not condition the way I was looking at other families so to not have a lens that predetermine a way of looking at these companies so what are you what are you researching now that is is interesting you and and why do you think that research is important so all my life uh, I devoted my research mainly to next generation with the idea of uh, uh, it's important to understand before getting to the business. And then I realized that really what, what's the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity is once you enter in the company. And hence, uh, the topic you were mentioning about uh, entrepreneurship and how can you be an entrepreneur in an already existing company? What's the effect? We talk about burnout. What's the effect on the emotional attachment? More recently, I realized that uh, family exists, uh, family enterprises exist in a, in a uh, bigger eco- ecosystem. And uh, there is a, a huge overlook at the advisors that um, serve families. Uh, I commend what you said before that you have started reading and, and putting yourself in a place of as a learner of family, not just because we work with clients that makes us experts. And what I realized above all in the last five years is there is a huge need and a huge opportunities in that community to create more awareness around what is that you need to learn before being able to work with this client. And so the research that with my team at Canesol we are uh, putting together, it's a survey and uh, it's, a, it's aimed to better understand how advisor being attorneys, being accountant, financial planner. So everyone that lives in this space, which is very much needed, um, where, where are they? What are the way of uh, working with families? And uh, there is not enough understanding of what is an effective way of working with clients. That is not just anecdotal. And I don't think we can uh, dare to try, right, without some reasonable uh, support from research. It, as always, that has to be the relevance that comes from practice, but the rigors that come from research. So we're talk, talking about facts and talking about research. One of the things that I've, I've learned that 
surprised me mm-hmm. is that data now seems to be pretty consistent, pretty clearly indicate that family-owned businesses not only generate higher returns than their non-family counterparts, but also at lower risk. Have, have you seen similar data? And if so, what do you think are the reasons for that? Um, well, I've seen the similar data. Um, I, I have to be careful. I'm pausing because I want to be mindful and not reduce what I've seen, what's my experience, which is long, but it's not um, the whole thing. So I, I, I don't want to jump on something. Um, uh, what could be the... The problem is it's hard, right? Because you, it's it's hard enough to observe even how family businesses perform, right? right? But then collecting the data right. to really run the analytics to find right. out why. Exactly. It's difficult to do it from a fact-based Absolutely. perspective. So th- that's so. why I was pausing because before expressing an opinion on something that is so important, was because I have a kind of a skewed perspective because when they come to me is because they are in trouble, right? Because yeah. I'm in the line of business of helping those families to get to be the one uh, performing uh, better. So I, I think that the big shift, uh, that's what I feel comfortable saying, the big shift is when they become intentional, right? So when they they realize that there is some work that needs to be done and the fact that their family doesn't prevent them from... Uh, so yes, you know each other, but... It's, it's a profound shift uh, into thinking what is that we need to do, not just a reaction to opportunities that comes, which is a great way of growing above all in the first stages of, of a company. But at some point, what are the things that we need to do in the family, in the ownership, and in the business setting? So, you know, I, I, um, I would speculate, and if I were to, I, I'm not an academic, but if I were to undertake an academic study, one hypothesis I would explore would be this long-term Absolutely. time horizon. Um, because there's, there's been a lot of data, and Warren Buffett's a big proponent of this, that Absolutely. long-term sort of buy and hold over time is a, is a, is a, um, a return-maximizing strategy, especially on a risk-adjusted basis. Absolutely. I think families are very good at that. And I, I, you know, you touched upon something that I wonder if if this is the case as well. And that would be a hypothesis I would explore. Is you know, family businesses have a mission beyond making money. Absolutely, right? They realize they have to make money to sustain themselves. Sure. But you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. Simon, if you're listening, come on yes. the podcast. Oh, We'd love I, to have you on. I adore him. I adore him. So I just finished his book, The Infinite Game. Yes. Right. Yes. And there's no better example yes. in the real world. Yes. Of the infinite game than the multi generational yes. family business. Absolutely. So I sus- the, the hypothesis I would explore would be is the fact that family businesses play that infinite game a driver behind their their outsized success relative to their peer group. Absolutely. I I was looking forward to that book. I think it's a very important uh, uh, kind of approach, and uh, this is what I actually suggest families um, in my daily work with them, right, is that this, and and in fact, I think that it's one of the key success factors, right, those creating mindset that are about continuous learning, continuous improvement, right, and reducing the the competition and the confronting themselves with others. Above all, internally, I think that internal competition is really not ideal uh, within families, but it's more about how can we keep getting better with that perspective of the long-term impacting 
more stakeholders. And you know, an area of research or an area of, of, of study that I think overlaps, but it's not entirely the same thing, are hundred year business phenomena, mm-hmm. right? Some businesses do last a hundred years, but they change ownership, right? Right. Others, of course, may stay within the family. And I suspect there's a lot of overlap there, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things you talked about that, that, you know, how does a business last a hundred years in any form, right? They, they must be in a learning mode and Absolutely. they must be willing at some point to disrupt themselves right. because technology tastes must change over a century mm-hmm. period or longer, right? How does, how does Ford remain relevant a hundred years later? And, and I think that we didn't go a good job as, as academic and advisors for a long time because the whole field, and I get that it's part of the evolution and it's a learning process for the field itself, but the whole point is around successions, right? As if that's the only moment in time where family needs to look at themselves and, and at their businesses. While I always make the example, what is that you own anything from a car to a dishwasher that lives longer than a year that you don't put maintenance that you don't want intentional work even on the relationship right so the only thing we know is that everything constantly change and the huge mistake is to look at this every 20 30 years when succession happens because imagine what has even happened in these last two days in this world right and how yeah. that has been completely disruptive so now without thinking such an extreme example but individually in the family keep changing family has great event a minor event that keep changing perspective needs desire the company keep changing so it's it's crazy not keep an eye on and not just monitor but becoming again intentional around what are the things that we want to change and keeping the communication open because People always ask me about communication in family business. Uh, it's not just the quality of the communication. that That's a whole chapter in itself. But it's also the quantity, right? How often do we have communication? And do we even finish our communication? Do we finish the conversation that we uh, start? My, my colleague, Marjorie Blum, she's a psychologist and we work uh, together with the rest of the team. She is huge on this point around making sure that we finish the communication uh, because we start so many topics, but we never end up. And so we have the illusion of communication. And and when you have to keep changing, that's one of the most important tools that we have. So one of the things that one, one of the forces that is always there that's going to press for a family business to to end is a desire for liquidity. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the name of the game now, I think more really more so now than a generation ago, is every company must be built to sell. Right. And you're not really successful until a private equity firm buys you, you do Google IPO, something happens and you have a big pile of cash mm-hmm. that you can then distribute to your family members. Um, and I think that does sometimes drive that does sometimes drive both the desire for the family business, I think it also is harmful to the family fortune. Liquidity is not always the best thing in the world for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if, a, if a family business is feeling the pressure to become more liquid, are there alternatives they can consider other than simply selling out in order to satisfy whatever the cash needs or wants of the family are so they can have the cash but keep the, the engine that generates the cash as well? 
I'm a huge fan of the why people do what they do or they don't do what they don't do, which is another reason why I like Simon Sinek so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that what's very important for each family to consider is why to sell the company, but also why to keep the company. Because I think they're related, but they're different, right? And so many times I see struggle in the family or struggle in the business, but I want to focus on the struggle in the family and, and how many times family think, or if we didn't have the business, this wouldn't be the case. And they're strongly invited or recommended to sell the company thinking that if I don't have a company anymore, I won't have those um, uh, issues. And and rest assured that they sell the company and, and there are different level of engagement in that decisions. And, and people can look back and, and be very frustrated because they probably gave away something that they loved. And so thinking why things are a struggle, where do they originate and what's the right decision to fix the root cause of the trouble, not the symptoms, right? Because being um, uneasy in the relationship, it's normal. It's not necessarily symptoms that something is wrong, but it's more the fact that it's difficult to stay in a relationship, right? And live together, work together, making and sharing decisions. It, it requires work. And so why to sell? What are the real reasons? And on the other hand, give the family and above all the next generation a purpose to keep that company, right? Because it's a, it's a different thing and, and it has to be a higher reason because of the work that is required prior to that. So... Um one of the challenges I think many family businesses face if they're going to keep the family business is who's the next person that's going to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I know the Mars family, for example, they are notorious or they're famous for the fact that basically cradle to grave, they groom you to run mm-hmm. that business, mm-hmm. right? You work in there as a toddler, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is interesting for a candy business, but, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, in other cases, things don't work out where there's necessarily an obvious successor, right? You may not have children, you may have children, but they're not business people. Can a family hang on to a business or maintain control of a business in that scenario? And if so, how would they go about it? So choosing to uh, not run the business, I think is one of the toughest, right? And I remember years ago, I was in China, I was giving a lecture there and there was a 20 years old boy who started crying as I was speaking. And I immediately thought, oh my gosh, did I say anything wrong? So end of the class, I went there, I talked to him and he explained to me that those tears were joy. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, all my life I was raised with the expectation I was supposed the next one. And as much as I love my family and my, and the business, I don't see myself being there. And so hearing that you can you don't cease to be a family business if you don't operate the business. It's a huge relief, and now we have to talk about that. So for sure, it's not a simple decision. It's almost a, a almost a, a make-or-buy kind of decisions, right? What competence can you find on the market? And uh, it opens a conversation around what kind of person do you want, uh, what kind of uh, governance mechanism between the owners and the management you want to have, how to navigate uh, boundaries, right? You want to make sure that the, the person don't miss the importance of the culture and the values that the family want to have. So it, it requires a lot of coordination, but it also help 
open to great opportunities for growth. And here's the other thing. Uh, we historically are used to think about a family business as one family, one business. And I think that some of the shift that has been happening is to think about entrepreneurs, entrep- enterprising families, sorry, where it could be that you, you can generate an abundance of, of opportunities if you use your human capital, intellectual capital as a family to start even more than a company and then to choose to have someone who helps to run. And that's, that creates an opportunity to scale right, without losing the who you are. Right? And, and sometimes family businesses evolve into multifamily businesses, Absolutely. right? I think, um, I think uh, La Roche, the Swedish, I'm sorry, Swiss pharmaceutical mm-hmm. company, I can't remember now. There's another family name that's associated with it, but over time they became intertwined with a second family that's Absolutely. providing new blood and expertise. So they can evolve that way. And then there are the Mercks that have been around in Germany since the early 19th century and their family weaves in and out of direct management. They have a separate board. So Absolutely. there are models around there. Or even Absolutely. if you think there's nobody in the family that can do that, Absolutely. you can still hang on to it. Yes. And they're way more common than what we think about. Now, of course, it's already complex to have one family running one business. And so for sure, finding the right partners, as every partnership, you need to have trust and you have to have a similar values, right? Because if you have these two conditions, some that you create, some that you uh, need since the beginning. And again, it's the evolution. It's managing how they both grows and, and it's an more complexity for sure, but I do believe strongly that this can be uh, a, a great opportunity for growth. Um, now, we, we know that, and you hinted at this, that families sometimes are highly functional and some families are not as highly functional. And in America, we have this holiday called Thanksgiving where we <laughs> devote one day to making sure that <clears throat> families are as dysfunctional as we can possibly make them. Um, can a dysfunctional family have a functional family business? Um, so sometimes I think that we use the terms dysfunction um, easily. And I think that it's important to have people that are expert in that field to use that appropriately. I think that what often is described as dysfunctional is more a family who has to learn how to navigate through some of the dynamics that are very normal given the age and the stage both of the individual and the family combined if you think about that every one thing that everyone has is a family nobody teaches us about that nobody teaches us how family function nobody teaches us what is normal we have classes of how to run a business we don't have a minute spent to learn how to run interaction uh, we expect that because we are family we know each other and probably the last time you had a conversation with your children is before they left for college and think how much they change and we all grow, right? And and so the um, so first point is not everything that looks dysfunctional is actually dysfunctional. And second point is when it's really become dysfunctional because unfortunately there are those situations that are extremely painful and so I have a huge respect for that is, uh, again, it's a matter of choice, right? Can I do, do I want to put the work there to make that better? What can I do to protect the business? Because their system, their open system, there are spillovers when 
bad things happen in the family, they end up being in the company as well. It depends to the extent. So I think that um, it's important to create mechanisms that can prevent uh, and, and protect the company. Um, is that for sure 100% proof? Probably at the cost of some individual uh, expenses, both emotionally and, and, and physically. So um, it, it is possible. I have in mind a few examples. Would I strongly recommend to not take care of your family dynamics because in any case you can have a profitable business? Again, it's what you want for your life, right? And uh, I think that the other big mistake that has been shared is uh, um, that it, it, it's okay to separate family and business because to be professional, you need to pretend the family is not there. That's a huge lie. We can pretend that the family is not there. We can pretend that emotions are not there. We don't have to act emotionally and reactively in, in the business setting, but we have to respect and, and work with what we have in the family. Um, so are there particular tools and techniques that, that you've observed that are successful in helping to manage that dynamic? Uh, yes. I think that talking about that is number one, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I put that as number one because my biggest fear around tools is that we are a culture oriented to solution, which, which is great, right? We don't want to drag up problems. But we don't, I don't think that we spend enough time understanding what is that we are really trying to solve. And because there are a bunch of tools in the market ready to be used for and promise an easy fix, I don't believe in easy fix above all when it comes to family and when it comes to family and businesses together. So, um, yes, can you put in place governance? Governance is an excellent tool. Uh, different kind of governance, different way of implementing that, expecting that governance is the panacea for everything that happens, very wrong. Trusts are great tools, but again, it's a tool. Applying a trust to every family to protect the, it cannot be the right thing. It's like the difference between a screwdriver and a pot. Can you cook with a screwdriver? No. Is that a screwdriver a great tool? Yes, it depends on what you need. So I urge advisors as well as families to be very mindful not one uh, fit uh, not one tool fits every situation which is unfortunately way more the case that i see happening well and that's the reason for your family enterprise center right as you explore those things and and each family is going to probably need a different set of tools and even at different times i'm guessing Absolutely. I think that what family needs is to be empowered to learn and understand what they need. They will always need advisors, right? That's the beauty of that uh, interdependent relationship. But I think that what's very important is to teach these families how what they need and how to problem solve together, how to identify the challenge that they have so that they can be more intentional and proactive in, in choosing. And because at the end of the day, advisors, we are there, even the longer relationship, but at some point we leave and they have to stay and live with the consequences of the choices that they make. So the biggest uh, uh, favor, if you are a family business owner listening, is to really invest in understanding enough to be able to have a more educated conversation. It is scary to me when I have family, and I can tell you how many, that they have trust and documents in place that they sign because they blindly trust their advisor, which is great trust in someone. 
but I I heard people say, oh, that that document was so complicated. It must be good, so I signed it. And it's not just once that has happened, right? And it comes from people that I know that are very business savvy. So it, it's it's never lowering the um. The, the, I mean, it, it's understanding that you don't have to give up on understanding and growing and improving your capacity as, as a family and as owners. So I'm going to ask you right now the toughest question of the interview. Okay. And that question is, I know you're a big fan of family businesses, as am I, but not every family business is going to work out, right? Mm-hmm. In, in your case, you said, I did not know this, that you come from a family business mm-hmm. that ultimately was sold. What, what, how do you recognize where you've got problems that are so deep that it really is the best thing to sort of to, to, to sell the business and, and kind of get a clean slate hmm. where it's just not going to be recoverable? I, I don't want to answer that question. I didn't it, think no, you no, would. No, 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 but let me, let me say why and how. Um, so I, um, I'm a, a, a huge uh, passionate person of, of medical doctors and that field, and I think that we can learn so much from there. I think it's a big issue around boundaries, right? What's, what's our job as someone who helps families there? And and what I'm going with this is I do believe that it's mainly a educated choice for the people in the situation. That I've seen families who chose to stay in incredibly difficult situation and they had their own reasons. So I think that it's about respecting that. It's our responsibility and our job to help them think about what's recoverable and what's not. What I know is that the more people wait to raise difficult conversation, which I'm not saying go home now and talk about the, mo- the elephant in the room that has been there for 30 years in your family, but if, if things are... That's what Thanksgiving's for. Exactly, exactly. And, and even without wanting that, so just to happen. But my point is the fact that we don't talk about difficult things, it doesn't make them go away, right? Just make them grow even stronger. So... Those families that I saw that they came to the conclusion that it's better to go separate ways. There is a way to get there where exiting the company doesn't mean exiting the family. There is a way to even get there, which is actually a great decision for the good of the family and the good of the, the business. So I think that as much as the family can provide value to the business and the business can provide value, and I'm not just talking about financial value, right? Uh, it's worth trying. Where that threshold is, uh, it's all about the family. That's why I was talking about boundaries. I've seen so much uh, biases on behalf of, of um, advisors that really push right for people to leave and to go away because of their own choices or, or preferences. I think that our job is really to help family think through why this worth to keep it, why is that worth to uh, give it away, and to think at the same time, which is the most difficult things, because we live in a, in, a, in a culture where it's either or, right? Is that the family or the business more important? I'm a huge believer that is both has to be important for the individual and the family and the business. And in that tiny world, 
end that lies all the the complexity of uh, how can you manage three systems to be able to coexist in the long term. Um, aside from Cox, because I know there's a special interest in relationship there, what, what is an example of a family business that is successful? Who's really doing it well that you can talk about? Um, I'm always resistant to give name. Um, I, I think those families that are great at learning and keep learning and learning from their mistake, that they see every situation uh, and, and keep, keep trying and, and put a lot of work and they don't allow for a difficult moment to become the last word. Uh, become a learning family. And when I talk about becoming a learning family, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go and, and sign up for an educational class, right? That That's a piece of that. But a learning family is the infinite game we were talking before, right? It's this idea of how can I... Okay, so last week, and I quote this woman, um, uh, the company CI Square, they were one of the honorees. We have a nearly uh, honoration, which is, in, as the word says, in honoring and celebrating companies. And there is this, uh, um, one of the six finalists we had uh, is uh, uh, Mrs. Andrella, and who's the founder in, uh, of uh, CI Squared. Um, they manage an incredible number of uh, um, control tower in airport uh, in the US and the Caribbean. And her mantra is uh, she wakes up every morning and sh- her prey is, let be this today better than yesterday. Like, so I commend and I love her intention as an individual, as a businesswoman and as a business owner uh, to wake up with the intention of how can I make today better than yesterday? I think that if a family is able to do something like that, even the mistake that we all make uh, have become something totally different and an opportunity for growth. We are uh, we are out of and and past time, but we we could easily make this a three part series or, or or longer. But unfortunately, we can't. If somebody is is looking at a family business and is thinking about these issues, how can they contact you to learn more? So we have our website, uh, um, and uh, otherwise we have a relatively easy email address. Am I allowed to? Yes, please. Yep. Okay, it's cfec at canaso.edu, cfec at canaso.edu. And uh, um, we are happy to have a conversation with uh, whomever wants to learn more. And I really want to thank you for being one of those people that really are into learning and getting better. It was it is refreshing to meet people like you, and it's very meaningful. So thank you. Well, why do you get to know me? You won't think so highly of me, but... <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Dr. Gaia Marchisio so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.